this morning, I just want to start by obviously saying happy Valentine's Day. Um, it's not often that we land on Sunday for Valentine's Day, so it's not often that we stop to do a sermon about love, just specifically about love. But this morning, we're going to actually do that together. And one of the things that I want us to do uh, as the body of Christ, as we, we look at this together this morning, is just to remember that Valentine's Day is a day that, for some, produces joy. For others, it produces indifference, and still others, it produces pain. And so, one thing that I want us to fully grasp in this time, in this season, is the fact that there is someone who is a valentine for each of us. And that someone is the same person. That this person has chosen us, this person has pointed to us, this person has drawn us to himself. And this morning I want us to take a look at God's unique love for us. It's easy to lose sight of everything else that's going on and forget about God's unique and specific love for us. And I think that Valentine's Day is a good day to stop and to look and be reminded of God's unique love. That Jesus came not only to save, but He came to make known His unique love for you and for me. And so we're going to be looking at John 21, verses 15 through 19. So let's open to that passage together, John 21, verses 15 through 19. We're reading out of the English Standard Version. And we'll begin here. It's the last chapter in the Gospel of John. It says this. It says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him again, excuse me, he said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for this small portion of Scripture. We're grateful for the love that you display, and we're grateful that, God, that you came not only to save, but to demonstrate, to make known the love that you have for us. May we know that today intimately. 
May God, may each person hearing your word preached this morning, whether it be here at Redemption or at the other churches here in town or in Sebastopol or Windsor or Petaluma or Cloverdale, Healdsburg, Sonoma. Father, I pray that your gospel would go forward. I pray, Father, that in Rohnert Park, in this area of Santa Rosa, that God, that there are empowered people in Christ because they know your love for them. And so, Lord, may we be moved by your love this morning into loving you, into loving others. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Central to our message this morning is the idea that understanding God's unique love for us frees and compels us to follow Him in love. Understanding God's unique love for us frees and compels us to follow Him in love. And I want you to to change that, and that word is you, not just us, but that it is specific. That it's not just as broad as God loved others, but that God loves you. That's at the heart of Christ's love, is that God loves you. And so understanding God's unique love for us, or for you, frees and compels us, or you, or me, to follow Him in love. That's what we're dealing with this morning. And so as we begin this morning, kids, what I'm going to ask you to do with that pen and paper, and you're going to have about 10 minutes to do this, maybe a little bit more, but what I want you to do is I want you to draw a picture that if you were going to tell somebody that you loved them, or you were going to show love in a picture, I want you to draw a picture of love, however you do that. Maybe it's a heart, maybe it's something else. I don't know how you do that. But I want you to think about, if you are going to draw a picture of love, I want you to draw a picture of love, how you would describe that. And then, in just a little bit, I'm going to ask you for those pictures. And we're going to come back to that. But notice here in this passage that Peter has been fishing with some of the disciples. And this kind of sets up the context here in John 21. We're told that Peter, along with John and James, Nathaniel and others, are fishing along the Sea of Tiberias. And as they're out in the boat, they see Jesus along the shore. When Peter sees Jesus on the shore, initially he doesn't recognize But when John hears the voice of Jesus, he says, it's our Lord. Peter throws on his cloak because he's been working. He jumps in the water and swims to the shoreline to meet Jesus. And we're told that when he arrives there, Jesus says, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. And for some of you that know that story, what had happened was they had been fishing in the Sea of Tiberias and they hadn't had any luck at all. They were completely skunked out. And Jesus had commanded them to drop the nets on the other side of the boat. And the haul is so large, they can't bring in that haul of fish until they get back to shore. Peter says, Peter is told to go and to bring some of the fish that they just caught. And after Peter does this, Jesus has breakfast with those disciples that are present. And that brings us to the passage this morning. 
We're told in verse 14 that this is the third time that Jesus has revealed himself to the disciples following his resurrection. Now, interestingly enough, there's themes of three in here, right? Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus has revealed himself three times. And in this passage, Jesus is going to do something with Peter three times. And it's unique. And part of what he's doing here is showing Peter his unique love for him. A love that he demonstrates and that he has for each of us. So let's look at that together. In verse 15, he begins, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now in this small section of Scripture, we're going to see God's unique love. And it's the unique love that he displays towards us. And so God's unique love begins in this way. One of the ways that it's displayed towards us is that it sacrifices for us. It sacrifices for us. So God's unique love sacrifices for us. He laid down his life for our sake. Now notice what this passage says. It says, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Now, the language here is important. And there are some that actually have taken this passage and would say, well, John kind of uses language interchangeably for love. The truth is, is that would change dramatically throughout Scripture. Scripture has always been specific in its language. And the beauty of Greek, the beauty of the original languages, is it captures some things that at times we don't often capture in English. So, What's actually happening here is that Jesus asks Peter a very specific question. He uses the word agape for love, and that he says, Peter, do you agape me? Now, agape in Greek is a kind of love that's sacrificial or surrendered love. It's the love that's, that's designed to describe Jesus' action towards us, Jesus' movement towards us. It's a, it's a sacrificing love. It's a love that, that, that lays down its life for us, as we see in John 15, 13, when it says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. But what's unique is how Peter responds. Peter says, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, this is a little bit more clear for us, it seems. And yet it's a little unclear in English. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me sacrificially? Do you agape me? Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you as a brother. I phileo you. Meaning, he uses the Greek word phileo, which responds to a brotherly kind of love. He doesn't actually answer Jesus' question directly. He answers it indirectly. And so twice he's asked the question, do you love me in a sacrificial way? And Peter says, Lord, I love you as a brother. I love you as a person of affection. You know this. It carries with it kind of these, these family ties. 
And so, essentially, Jesus is asking Peter, do you love me sacrificially? And Peter is responding by saying, I love you as a brother, or as I love you as part of my own family. Now, what's unique about this? Well, Peter here is a picture of a person who is desiring Christ, yet glaringly aware of his weakness. You see, Peter failed to love Jesus sacrificially on the day of his death. Peter understands that he did not love Christ with an agape love. And therefore, he cannot answer Jesus in that moment honestly of, yes, I love you sacrificially. Because Peter protected his own life when Christ's life was at stake. Mark 14, 72 tells us, And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. After they had gone into the tribunal, Peter had gone and followed Jesus. Now it is interesting here, Peter, all the different credit that Peter gets, isn't it? Peter's the guy that steps out of the boat, walks on water with Jesus. He's also the guy that sinks. And he's told, ye of little faith, because he's seen the power of faith in Christ, that as he puts his faith in Christ, he can actually walk on water. This same Peter was the only disciple that didn't run when the guards came. But yet, when confronted with his own life, he was unwilling to sacrifice his life for him. And so he could not answer that question, yes, God, I agape you. Yes, Jesus, I agape you. All he can say is, yes, I phileo you. Now, the beauty of this is that Jesus is the one who sacrifices for us. Even when we're unable to love him in that way, he loves us differently. This is radically different than human love, is it not? Human love often moves to a place of you love me, I love you. And we try to love equally, in essence. Yet what Christ calls us to is a love that's different, that is a laying down our lives for one another. That's radically different than the world. It's a love that's actually undeserving rather than deserved. I think it's one of the great problems that we see today in marriages and relationships is that people want everything to be equal. And the reality is, is that in different seasons of your life, you're going to have to love sacrificially if you're going to love as Christ. It's not a tit for tat. We see this even in how we maintain relationships with companies and organizations, isn't it? It's kind of a Johnny-come-lately attitude often. You're expendable. The, the reality that we have in Christ is that Christ sacrifices for us. He laid down His life for our sake. And so when we're unable to do it, He does it. He does it. He still seeks relationship even when we failed. Romans 5, 7 through 8 says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. 
But listen to this in verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. Are you worth dying for? The answer is there is one who has said, yes, you are. No matter how inadequate you may feel, no matter how distant you may feel, there is one who has said that you are worthy enough to be died for, and it was Jesus. This is why when we pull out things like John, 1 John 4, 18 and 19, which says there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. This passage has been grossly pulled out of context. It's not saying that you'll never be afraid. What it's specifically talking about is your security and relationship with Christ. What he's saying is, is if you're always on an up and down with Jesus, wondering where your standing is with him, You're fearing the wrong thing. Jesus has done the redemptive work. If you are living a repentant life, a a life of faith in Christ, you have nothing to fear in Him. That's what He's saying. You don't have to worry about what's happening tomorrow. And you don't have to worry about your salvation because today I fumbled. But because I live in faith in Christ... I'm no longer at a place of punishment, but it's God's perfecting love at work within me. So God's love for us is a sacrificial love. He laid down his life for us. And we need to embrace that. We need to understand that we were worthy enough to be died for. In fact, we were unworthy enough to be died for and made worthy through Christ. Ever been in a situation where you wonder if somebody's got your back? Jesus has your back. Jesus is the one who does it. But he doesn't just have your back, he's leading the way out front. He's doing the work even when we can't. And in spite of the fact that we can't. The second aspect of God's love then that we see in this passage is This third question that he says in verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Now here's the other part that's missed in Greek. Jesus changes his question. He meets Peter exactly where he is. God's love meets us where we are. God's love meets us where we are. It meets us where we are. Approval is not based on past actions, but on the genuine affection of our heart. It's not based upon past actions, but the genuine affection of, my heart, of our hearts. Now, why do we say that? How can we say that from this passage? Because Jesus changes his word love here. After hearing Peter say twice, yes, Lord, I phileo you, God's third question, or Jesus' third question, is Jesus, do you phileo me? Do you love me as a brother? 
and it cuts Peter to the heart. It says in that moment that he's grieved because he could understand before why Jesus is asking and he can see how he falls short, but now he feels like Jesus is asking and he's falling short as a brother. And he says to Jesus in that moment, he says, Lord, you know everything. And the Greek there actually points to the idea of his omniscience. He knows all things. And then he says, Lord, you know I love you. Gnosko, meaning we have a relationship. It may not be perfect, but I'm here. I do love you. Jesus meets Peter right where he's at. His point is not to actually make Peter feel worse or to feel guilty. His point is this process that's going to lead into restoration. And so God's love sacrifices for it, but it also meets us where we're at. It's Jesus initiating that relationship where we are, not where we hope to be, not where we think we should be. Notice, no longer is the bravado strung from Peter, but his sense of unworthiness is overwhelming. Why am I worthy? Peter understands in this moment that there's something unique. And when he says, Lord, you know I love you, it is preceded by God, you know everything. Peter in this moment is beginning to understand the truth of what God has laid out throughout Scripture and what Jesus has revealed to him is that salvation is through faith, not through works. And that Christ has to come to redeem all mankind who repent and believe. Not based upon simply or based on works at all. You see, the Lord knows because he's all-knowing what Peter's heart is like. And we're told in 1 Samuel 16, 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. What does this mean? It means that God's love meets you where you're at. No matter how far, how distant you may feel, God's love will meet you right where you are. And that your approval, your worthiness that's granted from Christ comes through the condition of your heart, not your past actions. It begins today. John 2.25, we're told this. It says, But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. 
Isn't that an amazing thing? That Jesus actually is approving of us upon the affections of our heart for Him through faith, not based upon what we've done in the past, not based upon sin that's been present in our life before, but that God is redeeming us and that God comes to us. Andrew Clarence said this, He said, Jesus Christ asks each one of us not for obedience primarily, not for repentance, not for vows, not for conduct, but for a heart. And that being given, all the rest will follow. See, ultimately, approval as a child of God is not based on our ability to love God perfectly, but Christ's perfect love towards us. It's when we know that we are loved by God that moves us to lovingly follow Him in obedience. Because of this love, Christ approves us based upon our hearts, not our past actions. And this ought to bring joy to us. It means that all circumstances and situations are redeemed and redeemable. I want to ask for a second, those of you guys that drew pictures, Zach, you mind collecting those for me a little bit, walking around and grabbing those, and then on this side, um, who do I have back there? Um, let's see. Shay, you mind grabbing a couple more of those pictures for me again? Thanks. It's easy for us to love in our own image rather to see, than to see God's love and allow God's love to shape how we love. And it's also easy for us to feel that we ought to be loved in a specific way or loved by others in a specific way when God has already loved us in the way that we need. Come on up, Shay. Thanks. Perfect. Thank you. Thanks, Zach. All right. I'm going to read a few of these because you won't be able to see all of them. But this one here says, love, affection for others, friendship. And it says, May is a little girl, and then somebody taller saying me. I'm not sure who, who did that one. Okay. Here's another one. Understanding God's unique love for us frees us to compels us. This is Claire's. And it, oh, this is a good one too. Um, it's a, a woman handing a box of chocolates in hearts saying, Happy Valentine's Day, with a cross and Jesus awning saying, Best love. Okay. There are a lot of brother and sisterly love in this. This is good. Um, there's a picture of a brother and sister hugging and exchanging a gift saying, I love you, sis. And then a picture that says, thanks. Another one that's similar to that with hearts and I love you. And then here's a picture. It's love. I'm not totally sure. Oh, oh, this one's got romantic love with very large lips. 
and uh, brotherly love watching TV on the couch with a touchdown in the middle of it. Um, boxes of chocolate. Okay, perfect. Okay, cool. All right. Multiple hearts together. Um, that's good. Um, <laughs> um, one that is somebody reaching out saying, thank you. Now I get it. Okay, this is a little better than I thought it was. Um, I thought one was saying no thank you to the love. Um, so one says thank you, and then the other one says no thank you. Um, so that makes more sense now. Um, so I love you, big picture by Isabel. And then let's see, a picture of hearts all surrounding the two people. Love for us. Okay, good. There's one. This is a giving and kindness and being nice. Thank you. So, number of those together. Um, this one is like baking. Actually, a ton of, looks like a, a ton of baking things. I think that's what that is. Um, so, food. That hits my heart. Yep. Uh, more hearts. Not sure on that one. This is a couple again. Man and a woman. Thank you. Holding hands and a gift. Um, so we can look at each one of these. Now one of the things that's running through here. My bunny is on here. More hearts. Awesome. Thank you guys for doing this. The one thing that's unique about this is that when we describe love, it seems to have a natural outworking, does it not? Love is always directed towards somebody else. Jesus has directed his love towards us, and because he has directed his love towards us, we are able to direct our love towards others. And that's what our world is to see is that God's love for us then moves us to love others. And this is what happens in verses 17 through 19. It says, Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. So the third part of God's love, God's love sacrifices for us, it meets us where we are, and then it restores and strengthens us in purpose. It restores and strengthens us in purpose, which is His glory. That's one of the reasons that we're told that if we're going to follow Christ, we deny ourselves and take up our cross. Why? Because that means that we have to put aside our natural urges and desires that move towards sin die to those things and allow Christ to define the kind of love that we live by. And when we live by that, we're being restored to his purpose. Remember in the garden, mankind was made in the image of God? We were to bear and to reveal the glory of God. It's only in Christ that that broken image that occurred through sin is now perfected again in Jesus. 
And Jesus restores Peter in this moment. He says, feed my sheep. First he said, feed my lambs. Then he said, tend my sheep. Now he says, feed my sheep. Both young and old alike, feed them. He's actually restoring them back, him back into the ministry that he's given him. But he's renewing that purpose. And notice what he says here. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. Now remember, Peter's feeling unworthy. He's feeling unable and he's feeling unproven. Ever gone and done something and failed at it? And all you want to do next is go, I don't ever want to do that again. Nope, not happening again. What Jesus does in this moment is he tells Peter, listen, you failed the first time, but you won't this time. You failed the first time, but you won't this time. My spirit is within you. He tells him here, he says, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Now remember, just a few days earlier, a few weeks earlier, when Jesus dies on the cross, when the disciples were meeting prior to him being arrested, Jesus told Peter that he would deny him three times, and Peter said, surely I will not. Lord, you got the wrong guy. There may be others, but I'm not going to deny you. The pride that existed within Peter of looking at the Lord saying, this will not happen. And it does. And he doesn't even remember it until the third rooster crow. Now, what's he being told by the one who saved him? the one who loves him. He's being told, guess what? There will come a day where you will glorify me in your death. And what I'm telling you is that you will glorify in your death on the cross. That terminology that's used there is to actually describe that Jesus himself, or Peter himself is going to be crucified on a cross for his faith. Now think about that. The one that you just said, no way, not happening, and it came true, now is telling you something else that is true. How empowering is that? That you have victory over sin. That Jesus is saying, your sin is far as far from the east as from the west. This is what gives us freedom to repent freely and completely of all sin. Because when it's repented of, when it's, it's put out on the table, regardless of how dark it is and how large it is, and how embarrassed we might be of it when we put it on the table before the Lord and we call it what it is, God puts it as far as the east is from the west. And he frees us. And then he empowers us, he strengthens us for his glory. And we can trust those words that he's no longer punishing us if we're repentant. We may bear some consequences for past sin, but he's no longer punishing us. He's no longer working in that. In fact, he's working to redeem those circumstances so that we might thrive in him. 
the one who was once betrayed begins to take the one who betrayed him and now he becomes the one that glorifies him in his death. So Christ makes known his love for people in spite of their imperfection. And Peter's effectiveness in following Christ is directly tied to this understanding of God's love for him. David Guzik points out that the Christian in death can glorify God. Justin Martyr confesses of himself that seeing the piety of Christian in their lives and their patience in death, he gathered that that was the truth that they so constantly professed and sealed up with their blood. It was in their love, even in their death. So, where do we conclude? We conclude with one final thing. That if we understand God's love, God's unique love calls us to a life of loving service to Him. God's unique love calls us to a life of loving service to Him. Because God has loved us we can love others. And we love others in service to Him. And I'm afraid for many of us, we speak of love casually with God rather than understanding that God's loving relationship with us was never casual. It was sacrificial. The cost was high. He came to us not where He wanted us or where we wanted to be, but He came to us as we were and as we are. And then He does the unthinkable. He restores us and He strengthens us in purpose again. Why? For His glory. So may that be our prayer this Valentine's Day that we understand God's unique love for us personally and that that love would move us into a life of loving obedience to Him as we love others well. Let's pray. Lord God, thank You that You love us well. Thank You that Your love takes what is broken in us and makes it whole. Thank you, love, that, Lord, that when no one else seems to love us, your love cuts through all of that. And thank you, Lord, that we can find our joy and our hope and our satisfaction in this love, knowing that you've sacrificed for us, that you meet us where we are, and you restore those who repent and believe on you, knowing full well that it is in your power, in your truth, to bring healing in our lives, but also, God, to bring glory to your name. And we ask this in your name. Amen.